0: Guys, So uh, for some of you, I'm sure doing this card is going to take more than like three minutes and you basically watched on stage and sang during that instead of did the card, which is totally fine. Um, You can bring it back and put it in this place just out the sanctuary to the left. Um, That's going to transform over the course of the next ten weeks with these. Um, So feel free to do it. If you want one to take home devotionally and want to put there, you can take a second one. That's fine. Um, But please do go through this spiritual exercise. Um, Also, I'm going to talk a little bit about being made new this morning. That is the name of our new series that we're going to be doing for the next 10 weeks. And um, I want—let me say right up front, because I know I'm going to forget. One of the—there's a couple ways you can participate in this. One is we're going to have fall classes starting next week? This week? Starting September 15th. That's next week, I think. And um, one of the ways to be made new is to actually study God's Word and get to know what it means to trust in Jesus in all kinds of different areas of your life. And one of the ways to do that is to go to Sunday classes. So if you are not volunteering in children's, or doing some kind of volunteering that prevents you from doing two hours of study and growth, I'd really encourage you to pick one of these and go to it. It'll, it'll really help. Especially if, like, you're not good at studying. Like, you don't study the Bible for yourself yet. This is one of those ways in which you can grow more and grow faster um, without having to immediately be good at studying the Bible on your own and have the discipline to do it by yourself, okay? And then secondly, one of the ways to be community together, to really enjoy each other and to be the body of Christ together, is by partying. Today is our biggest party of the year. Yeah, now I will stipulate that we probably should have more parties and bigger parties, okay? That's stipulated, and if you want to be—if you want to help be part of planning new parties for us to have as a church together, I'm all for that. Just come talk to us, because we're for it, okay? But this, right now, is our biggest party, the barbecue. So come to it. Eat, enjoy each other, have fun, dunk a pastor, but enjoy yourselves together. Because a big part of being together is what the Bible calls fellowship. Being with and enjoying each other and getting to know each other so that we can learn how to love each other. Does that make sense? Great. I think my clicker's over here. Okay, so this week we're starting a new series called Be Made New, and I'm really just going to introduce it today because we've done a bunch of other things, and I've already used up 25 minutes of preaching before this. So let me read for you the passage we're going to talk about today, which is in Ephesians chapter 4, and it's just four verses. Chapter 4, starting in verse 20. The Apostle Paul just got done talking about the way people fall into increasing and progressive corruption and how bad that is. And then he says this, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. One of the things—so I I um, went to seminary in the late or in the early 2000s when big church with exciting fall campaigns was like a thing. And every fall, churches would do really high production stuff And in that really high production stuff, they would do, like, really inspiring stuff. Like, you're going to change. You can have your amazing life, and it's going to be awesome. And, like, this series of the next 10 weeks, you're going to, like, become a totally different person. Your marriage is going to be completely healed, and your kids are going to grow up to be statesmen, and it's going to be awesome, right? And that hadn't been going on long enough for people to be tired of it yet. And so it was a really big thing, and churches really grew, and— my feeling, though, now by 2000—it's 2000, 2019, right? 2019 is that, like, I got sick of the hype in, like, 2004. You know what I mean? I was like, whatever, man. And so here we are. It's fall. It's time for the big hype thing. And so, like, what this, what this passage says is basically, well, I have to turn this on. It's basically, like, you can be made new. Like, I can't think of a more cliched— Straightforward, impossible, like delusionary feeling to people who are a little jaded by excitement. Reality then that you can be made new. But that's what it says. Like that's what the passage says. Unbleakingly, unshakably, that in Christ, if Ephesians 1 1 to 4, 24 is applied and following, stipulating that, you really can be made new. I know that's difficult. I mean, we live in a time where people don't like to believe people can change. We don't want to—we don't believe people can change because a lot of people have disappointed us. We don't believe people can change because we've disappointed ourselves. We haven't really changed in all the ways that we wanted to change. We also don't want the pressure of having to change, right? Because like if you can change, then you should. Right? One of the reasons we love science that tells us we can't change is because it's comforting. You are gonna be like, listen, bad tempers, people who get violently angry, that's genetic. I can't change. No! It could change. Like, it might, you might not become like Placid Monty or something, but like, you're, like, you could get a lot better. Like you may not be like as, as like peaceful as the person who doesn't have an angry temperament, but you could get a lot less angry with your angry temperament. Like you may have a, like, hormonally driven high sex drive. That doesn't mean you have to be a sex addict. It may always be harder for you to be chaste than somebody else. But you could be a lot better than where you're at. Right? Relative to temperament, like I'm never going to be quiet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, being Brit and some others, we got a lot of words, man. Nicole. But like, we can learn, like, we can learn to be more discerning with our tongues and find the spirituality of silence and be reflective about this. That, that can happen. Right? There's a few different kinds of makeovers I've had to endure having three daughters. And they all take sort of like different amounts of my participation. Like, um, like the, you know, the little girl, they get their first little makeup kit that probably has mercury in it because it's made, where it's, because where it's made in China, probably. And like they, so they put it on my face, you know? And, um, and so like, but you just gotta, if you're a dad, you just gotta do that because they gotta learn, they want to learn to do that. You can't be like, oh, that's stupid right? They have to grapple like with what beauty is and how much it should be pursued, and at what point you have to like be like, look, I am who I am, and like dealing with all that stuff, right? Now they're into facials. They're like, we should just have good skin health instead of putting all this makeup on, right? Which, okay, that's funny and like better, I guess, but it's painful. Oh my gosh, like I don't know if you've ever got like a facial from a teenage girl who's already angry at you, (laughs) but like my nose is bruised right now right? But my skin is great. You know? And then there's like the makeover, like the, like the clothes makeover one, which you have to participate a little more. Like you have to go and try on the clothes and buy the things. Like I've been wearing a few new shirts recently, and a couple people were like, I like that shirt. I was like, it's Rachel approved. You know? Like I, like I don't wear shirts. Like I buy my own, all my own pants. Okay? But even those, like if I bought the pants I wanted, they would be camping pants with cargo pockets. I don't understand the idea of like free pockets. We're just not gonna have free pockets. Like, but my wife keeps telling me, like, cargo pockets look tacky, Nick. They look tacky in formal situations, in semi-formal situations. You just got to let them go. You don't need that many things in your pockets. And I'm like, why would I, why would I give up 75% of my pocket capacity? Because people are uptight. Right? But I do it. God help me, I do it. They're still travel. I still, I still, have, there's still Sierra Trading Post pants, but they just don't have cargo pockets, right? But the shirt, I don't, I don't wear the shirt, right? I don't, it has to be approved. You got to go through the makeover. And then like every, every couple years, or every year, um, whenever I can, I go elk hunting in the fall, which requires a physical makeover, like a body makeover. Like I have to go from a, I sit in front of a screen and get winded walking up the stairs to the booth (laughs) to becoming what they like to call now, so they can sell you more stuff, a mountain athlete. Right? Who can carry 30 pounds of just basic stuff around for nine miles a day at 3,000 feet of elevation at an elevation where you lose like 25% of your capacity just because of the altitude. And like, I gotta work out, man. And it is a transformation, but it's— it feels like I'm doing most of the work in that transformation. It doesn't feel like somebody else is doing it for me. You know what I mean? And some, sometimes I think Christians feel like, well, what kind of transformation is Christian spirituality? Because I think sometimes you feel like it's the mountain athlete one. It's the like—basically I do 95% of the work, and I like get a workout from an online thing that I print out. You know what I mean? Instead of something that's done entirely to you. And the the answer is look, listen, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I know that we're saved entirely by grace, even in our striving, and that we have to work as hard as we possibly can. That's what I know. Right? But what what I also know about every transformation is that, it, is that there has to be personal participation, or none of them work. Even the makeup ones, you can go to like Lancome or wherever and get your whole, you know, like your face three done. It looks really nice for a day, right? But then you have to buy the makeup. You have to take it home. You have to put it on like the pushy lady said. Like you've got to do it, or the next day your makeup's, your, your makeup's over, right? You can get the clothes in the like, the like wardrobe makeover thing, but like you got to take them home. And you got to put them in your closet, and you got to throw away a bunch of your old stuff, and the next day you got to put on those clothes. Right? And if you want a body makeover, you got to buy the stuff at the grocery store, and change your diet, and do the workouts. Like, you got to do the stuff. In every case, no matter what the makeover is, no matter what the change is, there is some kind of participation, and that participation is going to be hard. you know why it's going to be hard? Because the reason you needed a makeover is you weren't doing it before. So no matter what level the makeover is, it's still going to be hard because it's something you were not delivering on that you probably knew you wanted. doesn't matter on some level how much work you have to do or how much work God does for you. It's going to be hard. The reason people don't change isn't because it's impossible. The, people reason don't, people re- the reason people don't change is because it's hard. It's so hard. It is the greatest battle of your life. It is the hardest thing you will ever do to be changed. And so it's very comforting for us to say to ourselves, you can't change. Change can't be done. It can only be done through pharmaceuticals or some aversion of change isn't really possible. It is possible. It's always been possible. And if you think carefully about your own life and all the people that you know, And you say, has anybody in my life really substantially changed? Only one of two answers is possible. Either yes or no. I need to get to know some new people. Okay? Because people change all the time. Right? And according to Ephesians 4, a lot of it is they change for the worse, and they just don't realize it. What scripture teaches is if you're not renewed in Christ, if you're not being made new in the gospel, and the power of God, you are giving yourself slowly over to a certain kind of ignorance that darkens the conscience and leads you into sensuality without sensitivity, which is the worst kinds of sensuality. You're actually becoming more and more corrupted. You are changing. Everybody changes. They're either made more and more into the image of hell, or more and more into the image of Christ. Everybody changes. So, how should we start to think about this before we go into the part of the epistle that focuses on what we should change, right? From, from 421 through to the end of, the, of chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is going to focus very heavily on how to change exactly what to do differently. First, it's going to start with some personal ethics. Then it's going to go into family codes, how to live together within families. And then it's going to talk about spiritual warfare. And all of that is going to be specifically exactly what to change, which I hopefully hopefully will be very helpful. I want to look at a couple things really quickly about how to do it. So, the first is, is that what this passage teaches is that being made new is possible. If you are made alive and brought near, that is, if you stipulate Ephesians 1-1 through four twenty three, then it's possible. You see, the, the whole purpose of the Apostle Paul writing the first half of this book is to tell you the conditions— in which change is possible, and these are the only conditions in which consistent, long-term, substantial spiritual change is possible. One, you have to understand the beauty and the greatness of what God has done for you. You have to be driven to praise. If you do not believe in a God who is beautiful and good and good to you, and great, and loving, and full of uh, riches that he is designed to pour out on you forever, and that he wants the best for you, and he has a vision of what your life can be, and he has predestined good works for you to do, that it is your honor to do them. If you, like, if you don't have that picture of God, if you're, if your attitude is like the 13-year-old girl who's, like, pissy about school, right? Like, you are not going anywhere change-wise, because you're not going to follow the beauty of God into anything. And everything will look more worth pursuing than God and the truth and what's good. Any TV show on Netflix, any, even when The Office is taken back by NBC, any show on Netflix will still be good enough to pursue instead of godliness. Anything! It is only having a vision of God which wells up in you a desire to express it in praise or in worship. That it would be so real in you, that would be like a fire shut up in your bones that you have to let out. You—it actually tires you to hold it in. For some of us, the only time you've experienced that is with sin. There is—there's sexual desire, or your anger, or your desire to, to gossip to somebody else, to feel the excitement of creating drama, or like you feel that welling up inside you like a fire in your bones that you can't hold in and you're tired of holding it in, and it wearies you to hold it back, right? But there is a place your mind and heart can be in which the the beauty of the God that you see and what he's done in the world and for you and what he is doing in you and what he will do with and for you forever is so powerful that what wells up in you that you can't keep shut up is a desire to just express how much you enjoy and are thankful for it. Prerequisite number one. Prerequisite number two is, you have to experience the new birth. So when you were dead in transgressions and sin, when you were lost in worldliness and you were enslaved in your mind, God in his mercy made you alive. To be made new, Scripture teaches you have to first be made alive. And that, it says, is coalesced in Jesus doing the supernatural action of regeneration that comes in faith. You have to put your full and complete faith in everything you believe about yourself, in everything you think is important, in your right to rule yourself. You have to put that in Jesus. You're just, because and you'll be like, well, is that what it is? Yes. You have to put your salvation in Jesus' hands. And your salvation, broadly understood, is everything you're hoping for. It's not just eternity in heaven. It's like getting married and making enough money and all the things you think will make your life worthwhile, will make your life the way you wanted it to go. All that. You hand over to Jesus and you're like, I should be dead. I'm going to ruin and wreck my life on my own and I deserve nothing in the future but your condemnation. Okay, so you get it all. you know what happens if you don't do that? If you're just like, why don't you forgive me so I can go to heaven? Here's the problem. The forgiving and going to heaven part will always be in conflict with everything else you want that you've kept for yourself. And you'll never be at peace. You'll kind of want Jesus, and you'll want to feel forgiven, and you'll want to go to heaven, whatever that means. But everything else is under your management. And there will be always be a conflict there until you give everything over to Jesus, all of your salvation everything you hope for yourself, everything that justifies you, and makes you feel like a good person, or gets you what you want, until you give it all to him, you will be in conflict, and your conscience will be torn. You have to be made alive. You have to let God take that death inside of you, and put it away, and forgive it, and pour his spirit into you, and affect his craftsmanship on you to make you into a new creation prepared to do the good works. He's prepared beforehand for you to do, like it says in the first half of Ephesians 2. You understand? That has to happen. You're not going to change until you've been made alive, and you will not be made alive in that way until you give yourself heart and soul and mind and energy and strength to Jesus unreservedly and unconditionally in such a way as that his beauty is welling up in you to be expressed in praise. And third, you have to accept his pulling you and drawing you near into his new people, who are his fullness and his body. You have to accept that in Christ, if he makes you alive, he brings you into a new people, a new family, a new group of people that you will not like sometimes, that you will have issues with, and they will vote for the wrong people, and they will be the wrong whatever, and it will be difficult at times, but they will be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you will have to learn how to love them. And that will, as you love these difficult people, and as you put all your gifts together, and as you all grow in faith together, you will experience the fullness of Christ, and you will, in all these different people, receive everything that you need so that you can be made new. But you have to accept those three things. Those are the prerequisites in this book. You have to believe the gospel. You have to be made new by putting your trust in Christ and let him make you into his craftsmanship. And you have to accept that you have been drawn near. And if you embrace those three things, the right attitude, the right salvation and belief in the one who is the Christ, so that he can make you new, and that you belong to the new family, his fullness in the the earth, the body of Christ, and you embrace that, then you will have work in your life the things that God uses to make people new. Okay. The second thing is, sorry, is that being made new in Christ is mandatory. It is not extracurricular. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not sport. It's not like sports at school, right? Like, it's a mandatory—it's a, it's a required class. It's core curriculum. And you'd be like, well, Nick, but you said, and you always say at this church, that we're saved by grace through faith. Like, God just saves us. It's free. We, it's not by our works. Are you telling me that I have to be good to go to heaven? Yes, I am. In a way. In a way. Now, this passage says it in an interesting way. He says this, you, however, because he's talking about corruption, he says, you did not learn Christ that way. Now, some people say, because in the NIV, it used to be translated, you have not known Christ that way. And people are always saying, well, you know, know in the Bible doesn't just mean head knowledge. It means heart knowledge. It means knowing someone or knowing something. That's, that's true, sort of, in a provisional way, but that's, but only when the word gnosko is used, right? The word to know in Greek. The word used here is actually the word monthano, which is the word for discipleship. You are not discipled in that way. It's literally a word for formalized, long-term instruction under a teacher. It's not the generic word to know generally. That is, this, these verses that talk about corruption, he's like, you were not taught Christ that way. If, in fact, you learned the truth as it is in Jesus, meaning if you learned the real Jesus, you did not learn— That you could believe in God, and you could believe in Jesus, and that you could believe you were going to heaven, and then you could give yourself to the the worldliness that includes a certain ignorance and corruption that leads to sensuality without sensitivity, which leads to destruction. You were not taught that. Well, then what were you taught? Right? He says, what you were taught was that, what you were taught was, with regard to your former way of life, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the attitudes of your mind. Literally, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what it literally says, right? The Attitude is a pretty good translation. Do you see what it's saying? It's saying the fact that you have to put off the old life and put on the new in Christ is part of Christ. It's, it's literally an inextricable part of the truth as it is in Jesus. The idea that you could believe in Christ, like all that means, without believing that you must be made new in God, is just not true. If you believe that, if you believe that part of believing Christ is that you don't need to be made new, is not believing the truth as it is in Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying you cannot understand what Jesus means. You can't understand the truth about Jesus. You don't know what Christ even means. You have no idea what it means to be a Christian if you don't believe that part of it is to be made new. Now you would be like, no, Dick, you're basically saying that I'm saved freely by grace, but the cost of it is I have to become this great person. No, I am not saying that. Being made new is one of the benefits. It's one of the things you get additionally to being forgiven. Right? You get forgiven. You're justified by faith. You're you're given the free salvation of God, but you're given the whole salvation, which is not just not being damned. It's the entire rescue back to the image of God and everything you were created to be. It's a feature, not a bug. It's It's part of what you get. It's like somebody giving you a car and an airplane, and you're like, wait. I have to pay with the airplane, the car. No, they're both gifts, and the airplane's better. Like, The idea that like, oh, I got to work at it now. No! You're totally misunderstanding. You—you were forgiven and justified so that you could be transformed into what you were always meant to be, so that you could really bear the image of God, so that you could become a being that if we saw it now, we would all bow down and worship forever. This—the being made new is the salvation. It is the gift. It's not something you now have to do. The the forgiving and this justification was just to get you there. And so, it's mandatory because it is the thing. And so you can't imagine that you know Christ, or you know what Christ is, or that you believe the truth as it is in Jesus, or any of those things. Even the most basic, most fundamental truth about Christianity, if you don't see as fundamental to being a Christian, Becoming a real Christian that is growing to be like Christ, pursuing godliness with all its failures and all its inhibitions and all its delays and all its difficulties. The pursuit of godliness is what you're doing. It is what our lives are for, and it is the best pursuit and the most beautiful one if you see the beauty of God. You see the beauty of what God has done in your salvation— then you would see that the greatest pursuit of every moment of your life is to become more like the God whose praise is always welling up in you in thankfulness. These are inextricably bound to each other and cannot be separated, right? And then the last thing we should look at is that being made new has a method. It doesn't just magically happen. Like, I I understand, like, and I believe this for a long time, that what I wanted was for— me to just be changed just because I believe in Jesus, just because I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, as Jesus promised, and that it should just happen, right? And then a lot of us are sitting around, we're like, why is this not happening? I'm pretty much like I was, right? Now, on one level, you're not. Like, there's a lot of people who think they're basically just like they were, and they're actually a lot better. Like, I know a lot of people who I talk to them periodically, and they're like, Nick, I'm just not changed at all. It's just so bad. What's really happening is they actually are growing in Christ and changing, but as they do, they're becoming more aware of all the things that are wrong with them. Right? And so they actually feel a little worse about how good a person they are, but they've actually grown a lot. That's pretty normal. That's just called spirituality in Jesus, right? Because Jesus isn't afraid to hurt your self-esteem to create in you real worth. He's not afraid to do that. He doesn't even believe in self-esteem. Right? He believes in humility and self-humiliation. Like we just covered that with the foot washing. Right? He believes in believing in what you really are, which will give you plenty of self-worth without fake self-esteem. Right? Now, there's a method to it. If you say that you want the thing and God says, well, here's how it works, and you go, I don't want that how it works. Just make it happen. You're not the boss. You don't get to say stuff like that. Just make it happen. That's not how it works. You got to do the stuff. Right? And the stuff is laid out in the book of Ephesians. You have to have an attitude towards God that sees him as good and you as wicked, and yet he loves you, finds you worthwhile, and pursues you so that your heart is open to being taught, and so you're full of praise and thankfulness towards him. You need a new attitude, and then you need to be made new, which usually precedes the good attitude. You know what I'm saying? You need to let God make you a new person spiritually by believing in him fully and embrace the fact that he's going to make you in his craftsmanship a new creation. And then you have to bind yourself fully to the body of Christ, like you are a part of its body, so that it can help you grow. And then you need to learn and apply Christ as you've been taught, as that teaching progresses, which we'll keep doing every Sunday, of course, and in the Sunday classes, and blah 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 blah. blah. Right? It has a method. Okay, so let's, let me end with something briefly. Um, When I was in the south, pastoring, there was this older pastor that I knew, and um, we had been doing some stuff together and had gotten in some very strong disagreements about it, and he, um, he was gonna get rid of me and said, you know what, I decided we're gonna go to counseling together, right? So if you've never been to counseling with another dude, you're— I mean, I just can't tell you what you're missing, you know? (laughs) Especially like a guy who's 35 years older than you, right? So like we went to counseling, and it did not go well, okay? Like I basically said I thought the counselor— was dumb, and now that counseling was dumb, I believe in counseling. I just thought the particular counselor was insufficiently insightful. Okay, so. Um, but afterwards we were driving to lunch, and he turned to me and said, "He said, Nick, what you need to realize is you exude a certain kind of like aggressive self-confidence, and it feels like you're always pushing me, and that I'm never good enough." And you need to realize that, like, my dad died when I was 14, and one of the clearest memories of my life was playing baseball when I was eight years old, and I couldn't afford socks. My family didn't—wasn't able to provide socks for me. So I was wearing the used shoes I got at the thrift store, and I got into third base, and there was a girl playing third base while I was on the bag, and she turned to me. She said, where are your socks? And I said, well, they just slipped down into my shoes. He says, I remember that as clear as any experience of my life, and sometimes I still feel like even though I have one of the biggest congregations in our denominational region, and I'm a doctor so-and-so, and people respect me in our community, sometimes I feel like I am never gonna not be that ignorant kid from rural Tennessee who's fatherless and nobody cares about. Right? And sometimes people think, well, what about that change? Like that, Those places are way too deep for this. Right? It is that kind of depth of pain and affects to our identity that are that deep, that require something this powerful. It is that kind of feeling that requires the belief that in the image of God, that eight-year-old boy was always important. He was never a nobody. He was always a divine image bearer without socks. Like, He always mattered. He was always something. And so even if he never became anything more than that eight-year-old, he was always something. He had nothing to apologize for. And it was false. In Christ, this guy had become so much more than that. He had led hundreds of people to Christ, and he'd lived faithfully towards his family. He'd raised up two beautiful children who were having children and godliness behind him, and he'd loved his wife, and he'd loved me, and he'd done great things. That wasn't what he was that he couldn't change. It was a lie that was still hanging on and clutching him when he had become so much more in Christ. And it was also the objective truths of the gospel to be used against that lie. That in Christ he was redeemed, and he was seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and he had already been made new, and God was going to display forever the graces that he'd already displayed in Christ and that he had already won and he had already put those doubts, doubts to death and that he had been made so much in Christ already. Like, don't stop believing in a medicine you haven't tasted yet. There is so much more God wants to give you, so much more freedom, so much more growth, so much more forgiveness, so much more transformation, so many things you don't think you'll ever get over, so many things you don't even know you won't get over them because you won't even face them yet. So much denial, so much self-delusion still clinging to us that you could be free of. Remember, the gift of transformation is how Jesus gives you the gift of freedom. Our greatest slaveries are inside of us. For most of us, at least at this moment in history, but even in former ones, I mean, in this time period when Paul was preaching, the majority of most cities were literally enslaved. The people were slaves. And he didn't say to them, your greatest slavery is those Romans. He said, you can be made new. In any situation, you can be the Lord's freeman. And that can be true of us. It can be true of you. It can be true of all of us. But like Lewis said in um, The Last Battle, only if you go farther up and deeper in. Everybody's afraid of the great forest of faith. It's dark, and there's weird sounds, and you don't know what's in there. But you have to go farther up and deeper in. It's the only way. It's what your life is for. You say, you say already, cliche to your friends, that life's a journey. You drive to a stupid airport here in Massachusetts. Life's a journey. And then we're Christians, and we say that we sort of believe that, and then we don't really go into the mountains. Because it's hard. It's terrifying, and we don't think anybody's going to go with us. And we think that when we fail, they're going to throw it up in our faces. But if we believe in a God that we're driven to praise, if we believe— that God has made us new, it is making us into his workmanship, that he will do it. And if we cling to the other people who he has made our brothers and sisters, who are demanded that they put up with us and are called to love us in every way we require in this thing called the body of Christ, who is the f- that is together the fullness of Christ. It is possible. It is imminent. It is impossible that we could be held back from it. It is only the lie that is impossible, and our unwillingness to try that keeps us from it, because it has already been accomplished. Let's pray together. Father, as we embark on these ten weeks, and as we transition to apply the truths of the gospel to the particulars of the change of action that we are going to embrace, because of your commands, we pray that you would help us to be inspired and moved and motivated by the truths that you give us, we pray that Ephesians 1.1 to 4.24 would be life to us. And we pray that you'd help us to live in this moment and in this generation in ways we did not believe possible. And we pray that by doing so, we would restore hope in many for things that our culture so- says are not possible. Both in us individually and in the unity between us Socially. Help us to do that in Jesus' name.